Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. I'm CJ, your host, and today we are talking about one of my favourite topics ever, which is uh, livestock breeding and reproduction. Uh, as I've said in previous episodes, I am a shit gardener. <laughs> Gardening is something that I have to work super hard at and I have to really um, concentrate on what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and how I'm doing. It does not come naturally to me. However, livestock management and breeding and rearing is something that's always come naturally to me. It's something that I love doing. Um, I love being around the animals. Uh, but it's sort of easy for me. Um, so it's something that I love to kind of impart my knowledge and, and spread the information to other people because I think that everybody can do it, like gardening, even though I'm not good at it, I can still do it. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about this week. Before we go on, just let me zap and grab one there. Oh, sorry for those on YouTube. You just saw me reaching over like crazy. I uh, just want to let everybody know that I have got back in stock my um beeswax wraps which are um unfortunately not made in australia i am trying folks i'm trying to get them made in australia but i'm working slowly towards it but i sell uh beeswax wraps on amazon uh in australia here uh it's a three pack a small medium and large and these are awesome to use in place of cling wrap uh, so if you're interested in buying those, they are back in stock on Amazon right now. You can go and have a look. I'll put a link in the show notes, obviously. Um, but they're great to use as a sustainable product that you don't have to throw out waste all the time. You can just give them a rinse and reuse them. Uh, so that's there in case anybody is interested. Um, and the other thing is, if you haven't already and you are considering um, having backyard chickens, please, please, please go along and get my free guide 100% free no obligation you have to give me your email but that's just so I can send it to you um free guide to seven must knows to backyard chicken keeping absolutely must have before you start uh, your chicken keeping journey in your backyard go and get it download it it's got the seven things you have to really consider before you even start now if you've already got chickens go and download it anyway if you're a newbie and you're still learning uh, it'll cover off on some things that you may not have thought about. Um, so that's there. Uh, that's at www.mojohomestead.net backslash, forward slash, whichever slash, seven must knows. Uh, but if you go to Mojo Homestead, you'll see lots of links to it. So it's there. Now, on with today's episode. So livestock breeding and reproduction. We are smack bang in the middle of... Uh, kidding season at the moment so I am surrounded by baby goats which I just love um, <clears throat> and um, I have a real passion about livestock on urban homesteads or even larger homesteads and farms 
because as some of you would already be aware, I am a primarily carnivore style eater. Uh, so our family, our household eats meat on a regular basis. Um, we do not do a vegetarian day once a week like we used to. Um, as I've learned more about how essential meat and animal products are to our diet, I have stopped forcing the kids to eat all the vegetables and have a vegetarian meal. Instead, I would much rather them just eat real food. So we eat meat and we eat vegetables. I don't eat so many grains anymore. That having been said, there is currently a sourdough loaf of bread in the oven, uh, which makes the house smell amazing. Um, but we try and make things at home rather than buy um, commercially produced and <clears throat> usually chemically laden products. So um, all of the food that we're trying to produce on, on Mojo Homestead, we're trying to grow ourselves, and that includes our meat. Um, we've already discussed last week our veggie production, which we do grow. The kids don't live a carnival lifestyle like me, so they still eat fruit and vegetables and grains and things like that. But for me, I am primarily trying to grow enough meat to keep my family in meat for the entire year. Now, at the moment, our potty calves are not big enough to be breeding and um, we're slowly looking at increasing our our cow stocking rate so that we can have, we, you know, we've got 120 acres, we're going to try and stock our own beef. Now, that's obviously not suitable for everyone. If you're on a smaller block, say five or 10 acres, or if you're in an urban homestead, then you may not have the ability to do that. But there's lots of things that you can do to raise your own livestock. Even on a small block, you can still raise your own livestock. <clears throat> you can't raise a cow, obviously, but there's lots of other things you can raise. So it's really important for homesteaders to be able to have their own livestock and raise them if they're trying to live sustainably and trying to produce their own food for their own families. Um, and there's a few things that you need to know leading into that. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the, primarily the breeding and reproduction side of things. So animal breeding cycles and seasons. We have here on the farm, we have potty cows, which have not been crossed yet. They'll be bred probably October, so not too far off. Uh, we have angora goats that are used for fibre, so for shearing. And we also have Anglo-Nubian goats, which are used primarily for milking, but also for meat production. Now, <clears throat> if you're vegan or vegetarian and you're listening, this is probably not the episode for you because I will be discussing a lot about how we um, breed for the purposes of um, making our own food. Um, so our in, on the farm, anything that's born that's a boy and is not suitable for breeding essentially is ear-tagged for freezer camp, which means they will be dispatched at some point and we will likely eat the meat of that animal. Um, and when we do that, we will also use all the other parts of the animals in the best way that we can. So I haven't started using skins yet, but skinning and tanning is something that I will try and do down the track. Um, uh, bones we obviously use um, for the animals, but also too you can grind up bone for gardening, for composting. Um, the offal, I, I got turned off offal as a kid, so we don't tend to to use that although having had a look at the liver that came out of the last goat we dispatched it looked so healthy <laughs> it was it was actually pretty tempting <laughs> but it ended up getting fed to the dogs but the dogs are just very lucky on our farm um, 
so we do dispatch our own animals. So if you're vegan or vegetarian, this is probably not the episode for you to listen to. Um, if you would be sensitive to things that might be discussed about around dispatching animals, then you may not want to listen either. Uh, but if you are keen to grow your own meat as well as your own veggies, then this is definitely the episode for you. So breeding cycles and seasons. Depending on what animals you've got, you need to work out what the breeding cycles are for your area. So for us here, because we're a colder climate, we have a breeding cycle where we breed our angoras. Uh, they have a five-month gestation period and we breed them to arrive um, around the time of one of their clips. So they've just been shorn a couple of two weeks ago and uh, they're all due to deliver their kids uh, in the two weeks after that. So in the end of August, we have all our angoras arriving. We because and and we are probably late compared to some people. I know a lot of the sheep growers in this area, their um, lambing seasons are July and August, whereas we tend to wait till August because we have them clipped in August. Our Anglo Nubians, so our milking goats, uh, because I don't want to get up in the middle of the morning in winter, uh, we put off their breeding season until September. So my first one, I think, is due on the 14th of September out of the Anglo-Nubians so that I won't have to milk until around the 21st of December of September, uh, which is slightly nicer climate-wise to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go milk a couple of goats. Uh, so it's a purely selfish reason that I do that. But you need to work out when, how, what, the, what the gestation period is in order to work out when you're going to breed. So for us, for the goats, it's five months. For cows, I'm going to embarrass myself here and say it's 10 months, I think, or just over 10 months, 10 months. So our girls were going to go in October, I think was when we decided we were going to put them to the bull. Um, our chickens chickens have a gestation of um, 21 days. So from the time the eggs go into the incubator or go under a uh, live chicken, it's 21 days until you get a hatch. Uh, now, with chickens, the joy of that is, is that most of what the chickens that we look at are incubator chickens. So we can time that to suit when it suits us to have day-old chickens arriving. Um, we have had one of our chickens, goat chicken, went clucky and um, sat on uh, eggs. And 21 days later, bingo, she arrived with babies. Luckily, animals are pretty smart. And she did that in summer, um, which was perfect because we didn't have to worry about um, baby chicks being cold or anything like that. Um, so animals are very clever. Their breeding cycles will tend to go with what nature is dictating for them. Certainly with our angoras, something that we've noticed is they don't come into season, so they don't have their estrus period until, so a period basically like what human women experience. Um, they don't have that cycle during the times when we wouldn't want to breed them. And I know that sounds funny because they, biologically, they can certainly breed during that time, but they tend not to. They tend to avoid the buck and, and not come into heat, which is awesome. Um, they're not like, you know, other animals, like our dogs. Our dogs come in heat every six months that's just what they do they come in heat um our milking goats will continue to come into heat and they can be quite vocal about their <laughs> their cycle uh, when they are ready to go to the buck they are quite quite loud but what we found with them also too is when we haven't bred them they tend to go off that heat cycle 
like the Angoras, and not come into heat during times when they we don't want to breed them, which is when they wouldn't normally be breeding because their babies would be born at the wrong time of the year. So they, they almost self-regulate with nature on that one, which I'm pretty happy with. Um, now, people do go against the breeding cycles, um, not in most cases. I When I was growing up, when I first left home, I lived and worked on a horse stud. And um, horses could be bred outside of that cycle time. They can give them hormones and bring them on and things like that. But generally in the Southern Hemisphere, um, animals, people's farmers stick to the breeding cycle for the animal because that means that the babies are born in spring. Like I say, sheep are the only ones that I find a bit weird because they're born in July and August generally in this area. Uh, and then they usually have two um, two lots of lambing a year. So that's the farmers getting through more stock. Uh, but for the most part, you want your babies arriving spring, summer, uh, early spring, not in the middle of summer, probably on the way through to, to early summer. And then you wouldn't want to breed again because it just gets too hot for them then. Um, and a good thing for most homesteaders to know is to recognise the heat cycles. And certainly with my goats, you know, if you go to YouTube uh, or uh, TikTok or Insta, you'll see I've got videos of the girls when they are in heat. And um, for anybody out there that criticises farmers and says that, um, you know, forcing an animal to breed, let me tell you, there's no forcing. Uh, Hazel nearly dragged me off my feet last time I took her to the buck. She was so far into her heat cycle, she just literally got out the gate and ran straight for him. Um, the girls can be a little bit tardy if we want to put a human emotion on it. Um, they love when they're, when they're in season, it's, I need to be pregnant right now. It's that biological clock is very ticking. Anyway, um, selecting appropriate breeding stock is the next thing I want to discuss. And it's my fucking bugbear for backyard and urban homesteaders who leave animals entire that don't need to be left entire. Um, our uh, Anglo-Nubian buck uh, that we have, he's a registered buck. He's a registered purebred Anglo-Nubian from a breeder up in Queensland. Uh, Rocky is the perfect specimen. He's calm, quiet, gentle. He has great build. He's he's a good solid conformation. He's got nice long legs, um, a good solid body. You know, his balls, for want of a better word, are exactly as they should be. Um, he is a perfect breeding specimen. I have had other bucks that are not perfect breeding specimens and should not have been left as bucks. And certainly um, behaviour goes along with everything to do with confirmation as well. Um, it's like with my queens in my beehives. Uh, once they get a little bit old, they get cranky. And that's when it's time to replace them. They're not good for breeding stock anymore. Now, that's probably one of the hardest things for homesteaders to come to terms with. Not every animal is designed for breeding. That's that's. There's no nice way of putting that. That's just the way it is. Not every animal should be bred from. Um, and you do have to be selective. You do have to say, is that animal going to be a breeding stock or is that animal not going to be breeding stock? Now, um, Rocky is the perfect breeding stock. We have weathers that are born here. We just had a, a little boy born uh, last week who um, is not going to be breeding stock. He is half Angora, half Anglo-Nubian. He's not purebred anything. He could be the best com confirmation animal that you've ever seen. But he's not a purebred, and you have to ask your question, why would you keep him entire if he's not 
a valued breeding stock animal. Homesteaders don't do this. They they leave them entire and then they end up with a cranky, nasty buck or, you know, an animal that can't be managed or handled. And, And in goats' cases, you know, we have to be honest, they piss on their head during the rutting season. They're like deers. They stink during breeding season. So if you're looking at having an animal as a pet, purely as a pet, a grass eater, make sure it's a weather, make sure it can't breed. And I would even go so far as to say don't get a doe as a grass eater or a pet. If you're getting a pet animal to keep in the backyard as a goat, then it should be a weather. It should be absolutely castrated correctly and it should be a weather and then you'll never have any problems with it screaming its lungs out during the breeding season or pissing on its head during the breeding season. Don't keep bucks entire. You only need one buck. They can service 100 girls probably. I don't know what the exact number is, but certainly for the average urban homesteader or small farm homesteader, uh, you only need one. And, in fact, you don't always need one. We'll talk about it later about assisted reproduction. So, But the buck that you keep needs to be purebred, needs to have excellent confirmation, needs to have an excellent attitude and behaviour. You don't want a nasty, cranky one. Nasty, cranky ones will breed nasty, cranky goats. Um, With your females, I have milking goats that technically I shouldn't be breeding with for milking goats, but all of their offspring so far to date we have only used for meat purposes. Um, One of my girls has um, a deformity with her udder where she has two teats coming off the one udder bag. So with a goat, they have two, uh, well, with Anglo-Nubian goats, they have two udder bags and two teats that come off it, and that's a good confirmation. One of my girls has got an extra teat. Now, milk does come out of that teat. It causes her no grief. When I milk, I hand milk, so I am squeezing down on both teats at the same time and the milk comes out without any problems. But is she good for breeding, for milking goats? No, she's not. She has a genetic fault and uh, any female, the offspring of hers, could likely carry that genetic fault and could either have that issue with the teats or could produce a baby with that that issue with the teats. Now, because I'm not a commercial dairy and because I'm not selling um, dairy goats to people, that's not an issue for me. Down the track, I am going to try and obtain some better quality genetics into the homestead. Um, and when that happens, that'll be one of the things I look for. How are their teats? Are they perfectly placed? Do they have any deformities or issues with them? Um, so that's definitely something. Uh, and then, obviously, with your breeding program, you you want to make sure that you are crossing the genetics correctly. So in our case, we have a buck here on the farm. He he can breed with his daughters. I know everybody's going to go, eh, gross, like why would you do that? Animals don't have the same issues that humans have. And uh, part of those issues for humans, we don't want to inbreed because it brings out genetically um, genetic issues much, much quicker. Well, with goats, you can breed. It's called lion breeding. You can bring them in and breed them over their own offspring. However, they have to be genetically perfect <laughs> to do that or at least appear to be genetically perfect. And on top of it, um, you have to be aware that then the offspring of those offspring, um, you need to start considering how you're going to breed with those. So you're not going to want to keep putting the father over the daughter, over the granddaughter, 
and continue that on. You need to at some point change it around. So at some point, Rocky, our buck will probably go to another farm somewhere. Hopefully I might even be able to do a swap with somebody where genetically I give them my buck, they give me their buck, we do a straight swap or something like that where we've got pure breads, but it will allow me to then cross over the genetics of the goats that I already have here. But at the moment, that's not an issue for us because, like I say, most of our girls, we most of our offspring, uh, we use for meat. Um, the few girls that we've had um, haven't come from Rocky until this year. This season's our first season with him, so so genetically, we're still doing okay. Uh, but definitely with all of your livestock, so with cows, bees, everything, look at the genetics right across the board. Are they a calm animal? Are they not just are they genetically perfect physically, but are they genetically perfect in their uh, behaviour as well? Um, and so with our queens, this year we're requeening all of our hives. Um, and when we do that, we will buy Italian queens because Italians are the calmest and quietest. <laughs> so for any Italians out there listening, your bees are the best. Um, Italian uh, queens are very calm and very quiet. And we will buy a bred Italian queen for each of our hives. And that will then genetically bring in um, that beautiful, calm temperament that we want in our hives. Because a beautiful, calm temperament means beautiful, calm bees. And that's a plus as a beekeeper. Nobody wants an angry, nasty hive. Everybody wants a calm and beautiful hive. So it's not just with goats. Uh, with chickens, at the moment, we have sex-linked chickens that we're using for our egg production. But uh, my shearer has just told me that he breeds gold-laced wind dots, uh, which are a breed of chicken that I absolutely adore. They are awesome egg producers and they are also big fat birds and make great meat production. So I'm currently in the process of trying to work out what I can do to get him to breed um, a whole bunch of gold lace wind dots for me and we're going to swing back towards the heritage breeds for our egg production. And, you know, when you're looking at, at um, chickens for um, breeding stock, you do have to consider that, you know, if you're... Um, if you're a backyard breeder, a backyard urban homesteader, and you're only looking at egg production, well, you can afford to just buy directly off the um, off the, the hatchery or off the uh, hard um, produce uh, shop. Sorry, lost for words for a second there. Um, you can afford to do that and just have, you know, the particular breed that you want. And I do in my webinar that I'll be hosting uh, in November, um, I might do one before November so that you don't all have to hang out and wait. But um, we discuss what breeds are best for backyards. And you want to look at that. You want to look at what's going to work out best for you and your family because you want a calm bird, but you want to, if you want a bird that's going to produce eggs but that can also be used for meat, well, you need to weigh that up too. And the sex-linked chickens, certainly they're not real good for meat. There's not a lot of meat on them, to be honest. Um, they are just egg machines. Uh, and so I'm... I, from the homesteading perspective, I'm veering back towards heritage because I want a bird that I can use for egg production, but I can also use it for meat production. Uh, because as most of you know, we dispatch our own chickens here on the farm to eat. And uh, the ability to have a bird that's such a dual purpose like that, it really saves a whole lot of bother and costs for me. So I'd like to go down that route. So that's what you need to think about is with your chickens, are you just egg production or do you want a dual purpose bird that's egg and meat production? Or maybe you don't even want egg production. Maybe you just want birds that are meat production, in which case you need to veer towards those ones. Um, 
and I cover that in my webinar if you ever want to listen. And I'll, like I say, I'll try and do a date before November. Um, now, creating breeding schedules and tracking mating records, super important. Like I just said with uh, Rocky, you know, he's going to go over his daughter's they won't be bred this year. They've I, I keep them a year before I breed them because I, I don't like the idea of the goats uh, being bred when they're too young and too little. So he'll go over two of his daughters next year. Um, and when he goes over those, we will obviously monitor and assess when the babies are born, whether or not genetically we've made the right decision. And if we haven't, then we'll have to look at alternatives for those two girls. Uh, but the main thing to do is to create a record-keeping system. Now, for me, I just keep a record on uh, an Excel spreadsheet of who's been bred when and what they produced and what the outcome of that production was. So if there are any genetic issues, then that's where I've noted that down, that, you know, that didn't work, that genetically that's not good. Uh, but also, too, I note down how easy it was for that particular animal to, to birth um, the, to kid or to calf, I will note down, um, because if an animal is a, a problematic animal as far as breeding, then you may want to consider whether or not you keep it. Um, it sounds terrible, but we're, we're not a charity. Um, and if you're running a charity, that's great. By all means, keep animals that can't be bred. But for a homesteader who's doing this for sustainability purposes, you really need to keep animals that are functional animals that are able to do what they're intended to do. So if I get a goat who can't kid, who has issues with kidding all the time, then, then I would consider dispatching that animal um, to freezer camp rather than allowing it to continue to breed and always have those ongoing problems. Uh, and the best way to do that is to keep records. So I actually keep a really good little record for all of my beehives where I note if I've seen the queen, I know what the honey production is for the year for that beehive. Um, obviously, I'll note when I requeen, I'll keep records of all that, where I got the queen from. And then a couple of months down the track, I'll do a bit of an assessment to see how she's going with her um, egg production. How she's Is she laying enough eggs into the hive? Are they, are they healthy? Is everything functioning well? Same goes for goats. How much milk am I getting? Um, was it an easy kidding delivery? Uh, was there any defects with the kid? Um, was the, the mother a suitable mother? Because I, unlike commercial dairies, I don't take the babies off the mum. So owls are off them overnight and I milk in the morning and then they spend the day with them during the day. Now, goats can be terrible mothers. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> They can be horrible mothers, hence why a lot of commercial dairies, it's the same with, with dairy cows, dairy animals tend to be really shitty mothers. So you do have to keep an eye on that. You want one that's not going to just completely desert their child and leave it in the paddock and not feed it um, and likewise not be aggressive towards it, which I have seen a mother goat almost break a kid's leg and it was her own kid that she nearly broke the leg of. So then... They're not always good in that respect. So you want to keep track of records like that as well. Um, is their temperament suitable for it? Um, are there any other issues that you have in, in regards to the breeding? So a couple of my Angoras went to the buck at the same time as the first two that have had kids, and those ones didn't get into kid on that first attempt. They appear to have gotten kid on the second attempt. So there's a bit of a lag, and then we'll have some more kids. But it, it's something you need to keep records of. You can't fix it if you don't know so by keeping records about who went when and not just 
throwing them all in the paddock with the buck and hoping for the best. You want to keep an idea of when the buck went over them, when the baby's due so that you can monitor it. Uh, and that goes towards your calendar as well. So uh, my girls had come into heat, my milking girls had come into heat before I took them to the buck and I didn't let them go to the buck on the first occasion because if they'd gone to the buck on the first occasion, they would have dropped their car, their kids early August and I didn't want to be out milking in the, <laughs> in the dark in August. So I made them wait until their next cycle and then let them go to the buck. And believe me, they screamed the paddock down, letting me know they weren't happy about that. Um, so assisted animal reproduction. This is a good one. This is something that I'm getting more and more interested in because I feel like it gives smaller producers. So if you're only on a couple of acres and you want two milking goats, this is a great opportunity to use um, artificial insemination instead of having to have a buck on site. And for people on a small holding, you don't want a buck on site, believe me. They're hard work. They require a paddock of their own most of the year. They require feeding sometimes. They require care. You have to manage them when the girls are going to them. They stink to high heaven. <laughs> Even the good ones stink to fucking high heaven. They piss on their head during rutting season, which is their breeding season, and it smells. So if there's a way that you can reproduce without having a male on site, and it's very different if you're in the chicken business because chickens, you could have one rooster, and so long as he's a nice, calm rooster and a good, good, you know, good-sized, healthy rooster, you could have one rooster servicing 20 or 30 girls and taking fertile eggs off them if you need to put them in the incubator. Um, but um, for goats, it's a whole different kettle of fish. You need a whole paddock. For bulls, oh, my God, that's, again, and twice as much space. Um, and bulls push through fences to get to girls. Girls push through fences to get to bulls. So it's not something you want to do if you don't have to. And certainly on these bigger farms, uh, and homesteads, you know, if you've got 400 acres and you've got 100 head of cattle, of course you're going to have your own bull because it's probably easier to let the bull run with them and get them pregnant rather than go through the artificial insemination process. But for us here, we've got Rocky at the moment, but what we will probably look at doing down the track, uh, the Angoras all went to Rocky for breeding this year, which means all of their babies pretty much are only going to be good for meat. They'll be good, really good for meat because he produces a good solid kid and the angoras also produce good solid kids. Um, but down the track, we will look at doing artificial insemination where I get an angora bucks semen and artificially inseminate the girls that I know are good, capable kidders. And that way I'll have purebred angoras instead of having goats that I'll only use for meat. And if their wool quality is what I expect it to be, then I will have more angoras so that I can be producing more fibre. Uh, for my milking girls, eventually with Rocky, I would like to get a couple more um, does who are purebred because the ones that I have at the moment, the girls are Anglo-Nubian cross British Alpine. So the offspring are not even purebred. Uh, they're close, but they're not purebred. Um, but I would like to get a couple of purebred Anglo-Nubians to cross with Rocky so that I really have that genetic line moving. But one of the better ways of doing it is artificial insemination you know, not having a buck at all on site, which eventually we won't. Rocky, Rocky will outdo his lifetime eventually and, and he'll move on somewhere else or he'll go to freezer camp. Well, I've eaten buck. 
he won't be going to Fraser Camp, let me tell you. That's one thing I draw the line at. Um, but so for, for most smaller holdings, the best thing you can look at doing is artificial insemination. So um, horses can be artificially inseminated, cows can be artificially inseminated, goats and sheep can be. Um, I'm not sure about pigs. I'm going to go with yes, they can, like everything else. Um, but if you have pigs on site, boars aren't generally much of an issue. But if I had pigs here, I probably wouldn't want a boar. I would probably just say, no, I'll just either buy them bread and then artificially inseminate each time after that. Um, but, yeah, artificial insemination. Uh, there are courses that you can do where you can learn to do the artificial insemination yourself, which will save some costs. Uh, the straws, you can then pick and choose who you want to breed with. So I could order straws from the US for a buck that is this beautiful confirmation, beautiful temperament that I want to cross with my girls and I'm only paying for the straw. It gets transferred across, it's frozen, um, and then uh, you thaw it before you use it and wait till she's in estrus, wait till she's in her heat cycle and uh, artificially inseminate her by inserting the straw. Now, I, did, I think I covered off a couple of weeks ago my anti-pharma anti rant. Um, people carry on about artificial insemination being a form of rape and I, I cannot stand that phrase being used because I think it demeans and belittles uh, what people who have been sexually assaulted go through. Um, no, the animal's not being raped. The animal, animal is already in a heat cycle and wants to breed and we're just facilitating that breeding process. Um, I can't stand it when people put that human emotion onto an animal um, and, and do it incorrectly. Um, it, it's, it belittles the experience that the person who has been through a sexual assault has been through. Uh, so please don't ever use that in, in relation to that around me because I'll lose my shit. Rant over. Uh, so artificial inseminating, great for genetic diversity, great for not having to keep a entire male on the farm or on the homestead, um, and you can pick and choose your genetics. You can introduce genetic lines that are just awesome without having to actually travel or go to the buck or go to the bull or go to the, the boar or anything like that. Uh, in regards to chickens, obviously artificial insemination doesn't happen in chickens. I'm sure that somebody's working that out at the moment. But, yeah, for now we need a good old-fashioned rooster. Um, but keeping um, roosters and hens that are purebreds and uh, taking the fertilised eggs off them and putting them into an incubator is how the system works at the moment and that system works very well. So you don't have to keep the rooster and the hens yourself. You can just go and buy day-old chicks who've been produced in an incubator, fertilised by those two particular, you know, mum and dad, hen and roo. Anyway, so next one, which is the exciting bit that everybody loves, which is preparing for birthing or kidding seasons. So with chickens, you get your day-old chicks and it's game on. You need to have a, a brooder house. You need to have heat sources. You need to have the right food, a good watering system that they can't drown in. Uh, you need to have light coming in so that they're exposed to light during the day. Um, and you need to keep them safe until about that six to eight week mark when they're ready to move out into, into open pastures and be out in the exposed elements. Um, 
for all the other animals other than chickens that we have here on the farm. Oh, except bees. Bees do their own thing. You don't have to worry about the bees. The drone mates with the queen. The queen goes to town and lays eggs everywhere. Um, so, so long as you keep your hive happy and healthy, you should continue to see new bees um, being grown in your hive. But for all of our mammals, so for our cows, our goats, our horses, our uh, pigs, our sheep, they are all animals that have a gestation period that they go through and at the end of their gestation period, 100% of babies are born at the end of the day. Somebody told me that when I was pregnant with my kids. 100% of babies are born. Uh, in some way or another, they're born. Now, luckily for us, most animals have this amazing ability to know what to do themselves. However, there are times that you will or you may need to assist and you need to be prepared for that. If you're going to have livestock, if you're going to be a livestock guardian, you need to be prepared for the fact that you may have to get your hands dirty and help with an animal during their birthing season. Uh, that being said, there's lots of resources that you can use. If you've got a good vet, that's awesome as well, although it would be expensive if you had to call the vet out every time something kitted, fulled, pupped, whelped, I think they call it when dogs, yeah. Uh, if you had to do that every time, it would add up to be very expensive. So it is a skill that you need to learn to do yourself. Now, with our um, kitting season, I have a kitting kit. So I have a bucket that has a torch in it. It's got gloves in it. It's got water bottles in it of clean, sterilised water kind of thing. Um, I have uh, puppy pee pads that I use. I had a box of them from when Luna was little. Um, I use puppy pee pads uh, that I can put underneath the the animal as it's arriving if there's anything that i need to do with it i can it'll absorb all the moisture out of their fur and um out of their hair and um it'll allow me to to kind of sit them somewhere clean if i have to do something to them that being said most of our animals have had their babies without any real help from me i've twice had to assist a goat with getting a particularly large baby's head out of their vagina um, and to do that, I have gloved up and literally just skimmed around the edge of the vagina, just at the entrance, just to allow the head to kind of come out. Now, this usually happens with bucklings and it usually happens with Anglo-Nubians in their first couple of um, birthings. So, and, and literally that's the only times I've had to help. All of our other animals have managed to do it either on their own without any assistance or luckily for us watching so that we get to see the process, which is awesome, um, but without any assistance. Nature is amazing and it knows exactly what it has to do and these animals are very, very capable of doing it themselves. We obviously love our animals and we want to watch them have their babies because it's a life experience for us. And both my kids, MJ and OJ, have both helped deliver kids. So they've been there to catch them and check to see what we've got and clean them off for mum and stuff like that. But you really don't need to do that. Um, if you want to watch and you want to participate, that's great. If you don't want to, most animals will be just fine on their own and you don't need to jump in. You do need to be prepared for when something goes wrong, though. So things that can go wrong. Uh, babies can get stuck. So they can, like I said, I had to help with a couple of abnormally large-headed bucklings. But they can also get stuck in a breech position, which is not a great position to be born from. 
Uh, my daughter was actually breached and I had to have her through C-section because humans are lucky enough to have that ability to do that. With animals, generally, they're just going to have them anyway. But you may need to assist with getting legs in the right position and helping it once it gets to a point so it doesn't get stuck. Um, I have had stillborn babies. Uh, we've had miscarriages. Um, we have had mothers uh, do poorly after they've um, they've had their kids. These are all things you need to be prepared for. And if you're not going to be able to cope with that, then probably breeding is not for you. And I'm not being nasty about that. It's just a fact of life. If you can't cope with the fact that you might have to put your hand into a goat's vagina or a cow's vagina, um, yeah, probably stick to something else. Uh, the best thing you can do is be prepared for any scenario. And I can't cover off on every scenario here, but if you Google things like misplaced uh, or birthing birth, wrong birthing positions for goats or cows, it will show you how they can present, so what type of birth presentation they will have, where, say, the head will be turned back or a foot, one foot will be back or they'll be breached, so coming bum first. And if you're prepared for that, then when it does happen, it's not such a big shock. You know what you need to do in order to help the animal. And as a livestock guardian, all we want to do is do the right thing by our animals. So be prepared for that. Read up on it. Read up on your signs for uh, for when they're going into kid, calf, you know, pig, whelp, whatever they're doing. Um, anybody that hasn't been experience hasn't had experience around goats before, for Christ's sake, I will do up a thing on the goat on the doe code. The doe code is a bitch of a fucking thing. So, and our does, unfortunately, the doe code is very strong in some of them. So the doe code is a little bit of a joke amongst goat farmers that uh, whenever you least expect or least want your does to go into kid, that's exactly when they will go into kid. So if you perhaps are uh, dressed in some good clothes and about to head out to dinner, you're finally going to have a date night with your husband or wife and you're heading out the door, you can guarantee your doe will start showing signs of going into kid and four hours later when you've postponed all your plans and changed out of your good clothes and put back on your farming clothes and then she'll suddenly not go into not be in labor and oh no I'm not ready yet and <laughs> three days later she'll kid when you're least expecting it out in the paddock on her own um the doe code jokes that any time that it would be the least convenient time for you for a doe to kid is when they will kid or when they will show signs of kidding and then suddenly stop showing signs of kidding. And I know, I've been through it a few times. Now I just go, you know what, this is your due date. If you're going to have it on this date, that's great. I'll bring you into the kidding pen. I've got a kidding pen that I keep separate. Uh, and if they don't have it on that date, well, they stay in the kidding pen till they have it. <laughs> and it means I've got a hand feed, but they're all right. They'll survive. So have all your equipment ready, have a separate area ready that you can put your animal in. Um, with cows, that's not always practical. Um, you certainly don't need to necessarily bring them into a stable or anything, but you might want to bring them to a paddock that's closer to your house that you can see from the house is ideal because that way you can keep an eye. If she does get into trouble, you can go and help. But for the most part, these animals will give birth in the paddock on their own if you don't have them, pardon me, separated. Um, so don't stress too much about it, but be prepared for any contingency. Be prepared to have to call the vet if the animal is particularly important to you, if it's a purebred and, you know, it's worth lots of money, then you'll probably want a vet on call. 
otherwise have a birthing kit ready to go. Don't forget to take your camera with you because you're going to want to take a photo or a video of it, believe me, um, and and be ready for what to do after they've had their baby. So have, have the things that you need to have ready to go for afterwards. So a separate pen to put them in. Um, a lot of goat breeders that I know will dip the cord in iodine. I don't bother because mine have never had a problem and you know, when they kid out in the paddock on their own, there's nobody standing out there with iodine dipping their, their umbilical cord. Um, but you do want to go and check and make sure that mum's okay, that she's up. You want to check and make sure the baby gets up, the animals get up so quickly after they're born. Make sure they're up and feeding. That's a really important thing. Are they getting on the teat? Are they getting milk? And you'll know this. You don't have to stand there and watch it. You'll know it if they're weighing and pooing. So after their little meconium poo, all mammals have a little meconium poo, which is what they've ingested in the womb, coming out through their bowels. Um, once, once the meconium poo's gone, you should see milk poos coming out and they should be weaning. If they're weaning and milk poos are coming out, then food's definitely going in. Also check mum's udder. And I can speak from experience on this one. We had a lovely, beautiful doe who uh, developed mastitis and it came on so quickly. Um, I'd not dealt with mastitis since I was a kid with our milking cow uh, and um, we tried to do everything that we could. We got injections from the vet. We got injections for her udder to go up the teat of, of antibiotic um, gel. Uh, she was having injections daily and unfortunately the udder just developed mastitis so quickly and so so rapid and so bad that Five days later, I made the decision to drive her into the vets and have her um, put down uh, because there was no way of bringing her udder back from the mastitis. It was so, so bad in her udder. Now, that was just unfortunate. I've had milking goats that have never had mastitis. Um, we're not sure what went wrong with her. We believe that it might have been one of the kids uh, because sometimes they're born with little front row teeth. Um, one of the kids we think might have accidentally nicked mum's teat and somehow bacteria has gotten into that teat and the bacteria has gotten into the udder. The udder formed mastitis. It was rock hard in the end. And that's I made the decision. I said to the vet, can she come back from this? And he said, I could remove her udder, but she'll never be any good for breeding and that's no guarantee that she'll actually survive if I remove her udder. The infection could be through her body by now. And so to me, the kindest thing to, to have done was to have her put down. Now, because she was a sick animal, she didn't go to freezer camp. She got put down. She got buried in the orchard. But you need to be prepared for those types of things. Um, nobody wants them to happen, but they do happen. And you can make every precaution and it could still happen. So make sure you've got everything ready. Make sure you've got spare teats and bottles and uh, replacement milk on hand just in case because you never know what could happen and you need to be prepared for all of those things um what else do we need to discuss um, that sounds so doomsday i feel like i've just given you all the worst case scenarios but honestly 90 percent of our babies have been born with no problems we have 10 percent probably that have been born with an issue where you know that there's been an issue with the birth or an issue with feeding afterwards or an issue with mum afterwards and her health. And it's important that you are just very prepared for everything. So <laughs> the main the main things that I've covered today, uh, that's probably 
enough to keep you going, but it's really important uh, to document everything that you've done and make changes for the next year. So once you get past that breeding cycle and breeding season, if there's something that you look back on, like like with our mastitis, and I looked back and went, oh, my God, why did I not think about checking a teat for a cut? Well, believe me, every kid that's been born since, I go over mum's teat with a fine-tooth comb afterwards to make sure that there's no cuts. I check the udder bag and the teats for the first week and a half religiously to make sure there's no heat or hardness or any kind of lumps forming. Uh, it, you learn very quickly from your mistakes. And once you have one of those things happen, oh, my God, you know, you're going out of your way from there on in to never have that happen again. I, I really never want to be in that situation again where I have to make that decision. Um, so then afterwards, check the afterbirth after they've had their baby. Um, most mammals will eat their own afterbirth. Don't be grossed out by it. I know humans that have said that they would do it too. That, that grosses me a little. Um, but if you are there, you can pick up the afterbirth, check to make sure it looks like all of it's there. And most of us don't even know what we're looking for, but you you want it to be a fairly sizable amount that's still intact and you can see veins and things running through it. Uh, quite often you'll see a placenta, which is a very meaty, it looks almost like a liver that comes out. Um, make sure all that comes away. Check mum over the next couple of days. Make sure she's not running a temp, that her milk production still works really good she's still eating and drinking and pooing and weeing if all those things are happening you've made it through birthing season and believe me it's the best feeling in the world um at some point the kids or calves or foals or pups will start going out of the birthing area into the wider climate just be mindful to keep them safe um Little babies can get into places that adult animals can't get into. So I keep them in the birthing shed for about a week, week and a half, and then I start transitioning them out into the paddock. And it may be that they just go into the paddock during the day and I bring them back in with food of a night so that I can keep them safe of a night. But we also have a livestock guardian dog here, so our kids and smaller animals don't have to stress so much about predators overnight. Um, and if you haven't got a livestock guardian dog and you're on a larger block, I would definitely recommend it. Luna is worth her weight in gold and she's a pretty heavy dog. Um, but she protects all of our kids. We've never had a fox or any other predator take any of our kids. So I'm very grateful for that, for having her here. Um, anyway, that's probably about it. I would say then just enjoy your animals once you're at that point. I won't talk about dispatching at this, uh, you know, from here on in but what I will say is a couple of things to keep in mind is if you have children and you know that some of the offspring that you've had from your breeding season are going to be going to freezer camp as we call it which means they're going to be dispatched and we're going to eat them we've come up with a system where the animals have to be named after a food any kind of food doesn't matter what food uh, the last one that was just born is McFlurry <laughs> because McFlurry is a little buckling and he's a half-bred so that means he will be going to freezer camp my kids are pretty good. They like their meat. They know where their meat comes from and they're actually quite comfortable with the decisions that we've made on the farm. Um, some family members may not be. So maybe just take that into account unless you want to have a stand-up argument with them over your lifestyle choices um, that you can either just not name the animal and be very distant from it, which is pretty hard to do with any baby animal, but it's a good practice to get into is to distance yourself from anything that's going to freezer camp just so that you don't have that issue down the track. Um, but 
really be conscious of what animals you're keeping entire and going to use for breeding and what animals you're not keeping entire and you're not going to use for breeding and, and really get it set in your head which you're going to do. Please don't be one of those people who breeds an insane amount of animals, doesn't neuter any of them, doesn't castrate any of them, and then, you know, two years down the track is like, oh, my God, I've got like five bucks and I don't know what to do with them and nobody wants them because they're entire. And once you get past 12 weeks, you can't castrate. So the only way you can ban an animal in Australia legally and, and I think ethically too is um, to ban them before they get to a certain age. So you have to make sure both testes have dropped and ban them at that point. Um, if you don't choose to ban, then it's on you how you manage that animal once it's an adult. And there's no point bitching and moaning when you can't find somebody to take a buck that's pissing on its head and got a full set and is a half-bred and nobody wants it. There's no point bitching and moaning about that at that point. You should probably manage that you know, a lot earlier. Um, anyway, that's my little rant over over that. I just, I see it all the time on goat pages where people go, oh my God, I, I kept these bucks in tie because they were so beautiful and I didn't want to ban them. And and now I, they're pissing on the head and I've got five of them and they're fighting and they butt me every time I walk into the yard. And I just sit back and go, oh my God, this is, you know, this is why I get frustrated. Anyway, that's enough of my rant for today. Um, if you've got any questions at all about um, livestock breeding and reproduction, um, send me a message. I'm more than happy to answer. Um, I know it's hard with chickens because chickens are my main source of income here. But um, chickens, you know, I buy them from the hatcheries, day-olds. That's the most economical version for me. Whereas with my goats, they're bred and live their entire lives on the farm here. So it's slightly different, but I think I'm pretty well versed in both now. And um, like I say, I've birthed, I've, well, I've foaled horses, whelped pups, uh, delivered kids, delivered lambs, delivered foals, I uh, said foals already, delivered cows. Um, yeah, I've covered off on most of them. So if you've got a question, send me a DM, send me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Uh, but otherwise, um, I think next week we are talking beekeeping which again is one of my favorite topics uh, so we'll go into more detail about beekeeping now before I go I'm just going to show you this is our um, little kidding pen here so for those that are listening on podcast I'm just showing a little video of kidding pen which you can see on TikTok if you go there um, and at the moment in it was uh, at the time that I videoed it was Princess and Little McFlurry and Princess's best friend Megan who was showing the early signs of labor um, and was in the kidding and uh, she is actually in labor still as I speak um, so hopefully in the next week or two I'll post some videos about that um, anyway that's it for today I will speak to you all next week about beekeeping see you then thanks so much for listening today I hope you've enjoyed our time together if you did I'd be so grateful if you left me a review I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya. See ya.